This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings from iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book is titled Journeys of Entrepreneurs. Stories, stories of risk takers who improve themselves, their employees, their customers, and their communities. That's the subtitle. And joining me from Virginia is the author, Lee Rice. Lee, welcome to the program, sir. Thank you. Good morning to you. Well, this is a uh, an important book for anyone who wants to start a business, be in business, or understand the mechanics of being successful in business. Why did you begin the process of writing this book? What inspired you to do so? Well, I had worked previously uh, as a stockbroker for several years, and then I was a, a commercial insurance agent. And I had a chance to meet many entrepreneurs, you know, those, for example, who started their own business. And I'm a strong believer in free enterprise in capitalism, and I figured that what I could do to teach people or to demonstrate, you know, that they perhaps should do the same thing is to, is to profile many entrepreneurs. So some of these people, under 16, I didn't, I didn't know them all, but maybe some. So I figured what I would do is go interview these people and get their story as to why they formed their business. And uh, I made a point uh, not to interview people who had recently just uh, you know, created their business because it's well known that, that many people fail in their business. As a matter of fact, almost two-thirds of, of the entrepreneurs do not make it past mm. the fifth year. So I waited about five years, and all the people in my big in my book were successful. Only one person uh, had passed away or died during that period. And I knew the guy very well, David Ward, he's in Chapter 2. So I wanted to give them a chance to become successful you know, before I went to interview them. There, you, you gave a five-year window specifically, and were these entrepreneurs, were they specifically individuals you had uh, been introduced to in Virginia, or were they across the country? One of them is in Maryland, uh, Mike O'Neill. He's a healthcare guy, and uh, uh, so yeah, one in Maryland and two in Northern Virginia, and the rest in the Richmond metropolitan area, and one in Williamsburg, Virginia, historic Williamsburg, which is up between Richmond and North Virginia Beach. So many of them I didn't even know. I had to call them, cold call them, as it were, write mm-hmm. to them, and I finally got the opportunity to meet meet most of them and to, and to interview them. Were most of these interviews in person? I, I, I guess from, from what you're describing yeah. to me, by phone or in yeah. person, did you uh, did you get referrals from other entrepreneurs? They, you need to talk to Bill or Marie or someone. Yeah. Yes, I got one, and that gentleman's name is uh, David Watson. He's a machinist. He's in the back of the book. I was a Watson machine because I didn't know all these people. Once again, I had to call and... Uh, <laughs> I didn't beg, beg, but I called 
And uh, in one case, uh, Patrick Deffler, he's in Chapter 4, he formed William, uh, Williamsburg Winery. And uh, he was a guy who worked for Eastman Kodak uh, in Europe and in Rochester, New York, which is their headquarters. And I had to get his son to convince him to let me talk to him, and he did. And so that they were very cooperative. And uh, so, as I said, they were all successful before I talked to them. But there was no sense in going in and interviewing someone who was failing, you know? Oh, well, that makes sense. But, I, although, did, yeah, did, did, did these people... Okay, I, yeah. one, th- one thing that I have found about entrepreneurs, and my son happens to be one of those uh, risk takers, and you have that. I'm comfortable right. with risk as the understatement of uh, Chapter 1, I guess it is, the security es- expert. Yeah. Is there a, uh, a, a trail of... Success and failure, or failure in in order to get to success in the people you interviewed. Yes, in chapter two, David Ward, who I knew very well, he was a client of mine when I was an insurance agent. David failed in several endeavors before he became successful. He refused to give up. He refused to go up work for anyone. <laughs> he was quite a character. Yeah. He really was. <laughs> what? I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I'm just, I'm fascinated by entrepreneurs because they will get their nose uh, technically bloodied, if I may use that term. They will get bruised and beat up by the systems, and yet they have that strong desire to be successful, not just for their own sake, but also others that they're they're, uh, maybe creating a career for underneath them. Yes. uh, In a sense, they're heroic, because a hero is... Hero is defined as someone who, you know, tries something. He may fail, but he succeeds. He keeps going despite all the odds. So, so many of them were heroic. They may They wanted to work for themselves. They wanted to make money, and most of them became successful. And to my knowledge, they are all doing well today. And this is what 2014. And I wrote a big book back in 2011, 2010 to 11. So all of them are, are doing well today, except David Ward, who passed away in 2008 before I wrote the book, but I knew him very well because that was a, he was one of my clients, and I interviewed his wife and his, uh, new, his, his, uh, his new wife, as well as some employees and his son, too. Any common but, uh, denominator besides the risk-taking factor in these people? I mean, were they all U.S. citizens, all U.S. born, or were there any of them from other countries that came to the United States and pursued success? Okay, in Chapter 1, uh, Dario Marquez was born in Puerto Rico. His family moved to New Jersey, and uh, he, became a, uh, he became an entrepreneur who, uh, who engaged in, uh, you know, in uh, security. And uh, in that sense, he uh, was a foreigner. Uh, to my knowledge, none of the rest of them are foreigners. I did have one black girl, which is wonderful. I'm glad to find her. Uh, uh, she's in Chapter 3, and uh, she just, or she describes uh, Sharon Dabney Wildridge uh, how to become, you know, you know, a janitorial worker. And she run a, she formed a company, Clean Cave, became very successful and still is today. Started off with three people, and she's done very well. But uh, most of these people were born in America, and uh, yeah, they're doing well. Today. And and Dario started. And I, he started off in in the security business, but started off as a secret servant servant. Uh, I'm sorry, secret service yeah, he, agent. He, he was a secret service agent back when Nixon was in the White House, and uh, he found it very boring. You know, because in secret service you got to wait for something to happen. You know, right. wait for something bad to happen. So he he found it boring, but he 
But what he did is he became a private, a first a government contractor and private. But then he he uh, evolved into a government contractor worldwide, global. He had 3,500 employees. Wow, that is incredible. Which of the stories do you think is the most exciting of the ones that you were able to uncover and share? Well, I would say that Dario Marquez and David Ward, because David Ward, as I say, is the kind of guy he refused to give up. I mean, he failed in some endeavors, but he refused to quit. He, that wasn't his name. He almost went bankrupt one time. But he's a, he's a guy that we might call really heroic, you know. And uh, but I found him to be very fascinating, and that they were all fascinating. You know, Patrick Duffler, the the winery entrepreneur, is a guy who uh, went to Europe. He was in Europe a uh, part of his life, and he learned winery up over there and came to Virginia and formed the Williamsburg Winery that's still very successful today, about two or three miles southwest of Williamsburg, Virginia. You managed to get this... David, yes, I'm, I'm sorry, sorry, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead, sir. I'm sorry, but, uh, David Ward would probably be the one who's the most exciting, I would say, if he had to say, virtually who I knew, and uh, he was loyal to me when I was his insurance agent, and uh, Patrick and, uh, you know, Dario Marquez, the, uh, the, the security, he... He uh, worked in the White House. He uh, has traveled the world. And to, to this day, he still operates MVM in Northern Virginia as, his, uh, you know, as a large security company. You managed to pen this in 156 pages. Were there challenges in getting all of these stories together? You say you completed this basically in 2009. Uh, were there other challenges in getting their stories well, to print? Well, I did. I started it. I had to, the idea was in my mind in late 2010, and you know, having a good knowledge of entrepreneurs and capitalism, I decided in 2011, early 2011, to start calling people, and some turned me down. You know, some did, and as I said before, many of them were, were referred to me. So I did call some people who knew people, and I met one guy. Uh, let's see, what was his name? His name was Mark Mark Motley. He uh, he was in, he's in chapter five, I believe. In chapter five, uh, he's an auctioneer. And Mark Motley, uh, matter of fact, he and I both went to the same YMCA and worked out in the morning together. I didn't even know him. I, I, I went to him and introduced myself one morning, and uh, he wasn't sure. So I went back and talked to him again, and he still wasn't sure. So I called his office and went to see him, and he agreed. So he's an auctioneer in Richmond, Virginia. You have some of that tenacity as well, then. Yeah, very successful. He really made people very successful, and they work hard, and, uh, you know, they're heroic. What's the message you want to get out, and, and to whom? Who do you want to reach with your book, and uh, what's the underlying story you want them to well, gather I say, from it? I hope that I can, uh, I can get out to these younger people today, you know, many of whom, some of whom are not focused, but many of whom want to be successful. I would say... You know, find an idea, find a product or service that you believe in, and uh, study about it. Uh, do uh, you know? Do surveys and see if you can find a marketplace for it, and just go for it. You know, and and call some of the people in my book and talk to them about it. What I think, yeah. What I think is unique about your book is that these are not high-profile people that everyone is aware of or familiar with, but it underscores the fact that even the regular guy down the street may be exactly. successful and has made it because of underlying tenacity like you have described here. 
Exactly. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Because my, my people in my book are not well-known. None of them are, really. Uh, only one in Richmond is very well-known. Uh, uh, Bobby Eucrop, he's the one He's he's the one who formed, he and his brother formed Eucrop's. Uh, he's the food company president. And, and Bobby Eucrop, uh, he's very well-known in Richmond, very well-known. I mean, I mean, these guys were, uh, gave, Gave back to the community in, in many ways, not just money, but in their time and effort, and they're well known and they're respected in the community. What have you found as a, uh, I guess, a, a, a regular theme that runs through these entrepreneurs besides the tenacity? What has made them successful as far as their approach to their employees and other parts of the business? Exactly, they have they're very employee focused and they want to give back, not just to the employees but to the community. Every single one of them believe in that. If you look at David Ward in Chapter Two again, he uh, he did things I never knew about. From out, I was his insurance agent for twenty some years. I mean, he gave back in many ways. I had no idea uh, the food kitchen, you know, food products and support stuff like that. You know, he was and uh, quite a guy. He was a hero. He really was. In many respects, to me, he was. Uh, be, being a giver is a is a is a big thing. It it does come back to yeah. uh, to bless you, doesn't it? And yeah, and many of them did not have big egos. Surprisingly, because because uh, you think that they have to have big egos, but many of them didn't. They were very humble, and they had tested they had tested failure before. Because you, I think, by failing somewhere along, it teaches you lessons. You know, it does. It taught it, it taught David Ward lessons. And uh, but none of them were seen to be arrogant or, or you know, too big for themselves. Uh, but they, they were very community oriented, and they liked people. They had to. Have. If you don't like people, then you can't make it in life. You know, you really can. Lee, describe for my listeners in a couple of sentences or paragraphs why they should get a copy of this book. I believe this book would be of benefit not only to people who want to be entrepreneurs, but other people. How would you describe it? I would describe the book as one, because uh, I described the book uh, in the back cover of the book. I mentioned that Adam Smith, who I liked and read, he's the one who uh, who uh, in, who uh, invented the phrase invisible hand. And the visible hand is one that you can't see per se, but the effect of it is to create change. So what it does is, in the, in the entrepreneur's case, he... Uh, he forms his business with an idea. He delivers better products to customers, and these these products enrich people, and they make the world better. And he hires people to give them jobs. So that's the invisible hand. It's a process that works in many ways. You hire employees who work for you. Uh, you improve their lives, and the products you sell and the services that you render healthy community. Beautiful. This is a great book because it's inspirational on many levels. You don't have to be an entrepreneur to enjoy the read. The title is Journeys of Entrepreneurs. Our author, Lee Rice, has joined me from Virginia. Lee, where do my listeners get copies of your book? Well, they can order it from uh, from our universe, or they can go on Amazon and get it at Amazon.com. Have you also decided to uh, maybe do a follow-up book to this one? At this point, uh, no. My first book I wrote was back in 2007 called The Life of P, which was a memoir of my mother's life. She was a nurse. And I wrote about that. And this book uh, profiles the entrepreneurs, uh, my belief in free enterprise 
and how people in America can make it work. It works for them, and it helps the area. It helps the community. It really does. Lots it, of good things it does for It helps the world. It helps the United States. Lee, thank you for sharing their stories and yours in this book, Journeys of Entrepreneurs. And if you want to search for Lee online, it's L-E-E, last name R-I-C-E. You can also locate his other books, his other works. Thank you, Lee, for joining me today. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure for iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lipman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With Baby and Toddler Instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings from iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book today is The Book of Joel, book two. And our author, who joins me from the west coast of the United States, Joel Lee Russell. Joel, welcome to the program, sir. Uh, thank you for having me. Because it's called The Book of Joel, my assumption is this is a biographical sketch of your life. Yes. Or, sort of? Yeah, that's, that's what it is. It covers your life and your uh, time in the Army in the Vietnam era, the Tet Offensive. That's in the and, Marines. In the Marines, in the Marines. Sorry, don't mean to offend uh, the Marines or the uh, the Army. Sorry about that. Uh, but in the Tet Offensive, you were in South Vietnam. Where did where did the roots of this story come from? You were not born in the west on the west coast, but somewhere else. Why did this story uh, get written? Columbus, Ohio. All right. And why did this story get written? What was there about this particular story that you felt was necessary to share? Well, I thought I've had an interesting life, uh, interesting enough to write a book about it. <laughs> right. You know? So uh, I had a story, and I thought I'd go ahead and share it. And that's what I did, and it's been getting uh, really—it's been getting good reviews, a lot of five-star reviews on it. So, you know, a lot of people seem to like it. A lot of uh, <clears throat> other people who was in the military seem to like it because it's—it's uh, uh, pretty well written. You have 320 so. pages, and the back of your book talks it or talks about your your story this way read about the radical transformation of a dope smoking weirdo into a man of destiny excellent reading that's by uh, a reviewer now yeah. where did this uh, weirdo become a man of destiny what is the destiny that you have achieved or tried to achieve well when i was over in vietnam i was in a uh, it's about only about my third week over there, and I was in a a, a tremendous firefight. That was uh, like we went over, got lit, dropped off <clears throat> in helicopters, 
and uh, we went in with about 250 in our company. And, uh, and then about four hours later, we had dwindled down to about uh, 79, and I just counting the numbers, I didn't think I was coming back home, so I mm. made a commitment to God that if uh, he got me through this uh, Vietnam alive, that uh, I'd live my life for him. So that's basically uh, what it, where it comes as part of making good my commitment to God. Chapter 60, you uh, you have titled that, God Opens a Door. What was that door, and how did it get opened for you? Well, uh I, of course, I survived, and uh, I went ahead and, and just wrote it. The door would be uh, door. <laughs> just, just, just an opportunity of some type. Well, I wanted to share the the uh, commitment that I made to God because the thing that I learned was that uh, it was about being saved. I was a Catholic boy; I never heard about that. And, uh, then I found out that uh, about being saved to get into heaven, and I, that was new to me, and I wanted to share that, and I shared that in my book here, uh, what that meant to me anyway. Right, because that is a term that many people may not understand what the word saved is, but uh, in your definition, it is being rescued from one place and put in a better path to another. Right. Yeah, I was on my way to heaven, and the journey was getting sweeter every day. <laughs> oh, good. That's, that's, that's what they call good news, isn't it? Good news. It was good news. My life tremendously changed after I made that commitment, or after I made good that commitment. What happened, I ended up, uh, kind of got went by the wayside after I got back from Nam. You know, and just kind of partied and everything, and that, and that commitment that I made just kind of uh wasn't happening and then one night uh or one afternoon on my way home from uh, work i was with a buddy of mine and uh i was a woman pulled out in front of me in her car and i had this uh uh what i call uh a guarantee in the catholic religion it was a, a good lack last uh act of contrition Yes. And then it goes, to, oh my God, I'm heartily sorry for having offended thee, and I detest all my sins because of thy just punishment. And uh, I had that down, uh, and I firmly resolved with the help of thy grace to sin no more and to avoid the near occasions of sin. Amen. Now I had that down to about seven seconds. Mm. And, uh, and I was always determined I'd at least have that, be able to say that before I died. And then when she pulled out in front of me, it wasn't, oh, my God, I'm heartily sorry. It was, oh, sh-, you know, yeah. the, the S word. <laughs> and uh, I realized that I couldn't bank on that. And so I started seeking and searching to, to find out the truth. And uh so uh, I was telling my story to a guy who was doing my taxes, and he happened to be a, a Pentecostal minister, and I was telling him about that. And he says, you know what, you, uh, I'd like to pray for you. And he prayed uh, that the Lord would open my eyes and ears to hear what he would have to say, you know. And uh, he prayed it, and he said, he prayed it in Jesus' name. And I'd never heard anybody pray in Jesus' name before. Mm. And uh, so I, uh, all of a sudden, everywhere I turned, the name of Jesus was showing up. 
and uh, I told my wife about what had happened, and then uh, she, uh, I was, according to the Catholic, I had to uh, be married Catholic, uh, that she was going to have to get an annulment in her first marriage in order for us to, you know, to uh, to get right my, with my uh, thing, uh, getting right in the Catholic Church. Well, when... Uh, she got a phone call and this girl was telling her about being saved and uh, uh, that she had to be saved to get into heaven and then Sonny asked me that's my wife right. she asked me uh, if I had to be uh, if you had to be saved to get into heaven I says well I never heard that before and uh, I says well she says well there's a bunch of people getting saved down at this one church uh-huh. and she wanted to go down there so we went down there and then I heard the guy uh, the preacher was saying about you know about committing your life completely you know not just giving him lip service you know and uh, that I had a commitment to do I couldn't because uh, I just kind of uh, me and my brother both we were just kind of looked at each other after we went down there heard that pastor saying about committing their lives to God that, that, that is, man, that's what our priests do mm-hmm. you know and uh so I left there, and I just really <laughs> didn't make the commitment. Sonny went on and run down there and made the commitment. So she got saved, and uh, Pat and I looked. He said, we smoked, you know, our, we was pot smokers and uh, smoked cigarettes and all, all that kind of stuff. And we're thinking, well, we got to give all this up, and so we're going to... You know, before we committed our lives, that was a serious thing, you know. Mm-hmm. It ain't something you take right. lightly. Uh, <clears throat> so we left there, and then... But uh, when I left there, I knew I'd heard the truth, and uh, you know the the truth is set you free. And uh, but uh, I had left there, and and I hadn't made the commitment yet. And it was like uh, God was, was calling. He's saying, "You wanted to know what it was going to take right to get take to get right with me. That's what it was going to take was my life." So I went back to the church the next night and ordered that, uh, well, I'll go ahead and accept it. Well, they didn't have an altar call. They didn't, you know, hmm. ask anybody uh, if they wanted to accept the Lord or not. And uh, so I left there and then uh, went home, and I'm still feeling real guilty, hoping that I don't get killed on the way home because <laughs> I had never gotten saved. <laughs> so, but that night I was listening to Pat Robertson on the on the radio, and he ended up giving an altar call right there on the on the TV. And I knelt down and I asked Jesus to come into my life, and I knew He did. It was just my life totally just got transformed from that night there on. And uh, my wife and I had ended up. She just I just lost her two years ago. Oh. She we were married for 40 years, and uh, but we had 40 good years, you know. And uh, so she had been on to meet the Lord, and uh, uh, I found out what it was. We went to Missouri and ended up having a whole different, uh, you know, had a lot of a lot of good things happen down there. Your your uh, your your chapters are fairly short. Did you write those from memory when you sat down to compose or complete your book, or had you uh, been keeping a diary of uh, of events as you were no, going through? That was all from memory. All from memory. I just uh, I didn't have any notes or anything. I just sat down and started writing from the day I was born. Well, not quite that. <laughs> you have a good memory. Yeah. <laughs> 
I, well, I, I tell people that you know the, I've been confused most of my life because the first thing I remember is the clock was upside down. That, uh, <laughs> I think that's uh, probably not true. Yeah. How long did it take you to complete this, Joel? Oh, probably a uh, uh, couple months, a year, maybe. I, you know, I wasn't keeping track. Sure. So, so uh, I just. Uh, started writing and you know I wasn't much on the computer or anything like that and uh but I figured well I'll start with my younger years and um and just write it you know I was into gangs and everything else in my younger years and hmm. uh, Joe Estevez Martin Sheen's brother is uh, he was a good friend of mine matter of fact uh the book is uh is being uh uh, I just got it to a producer, and I don't know if he's going to produce it into a movie or not, but uh, I was able to go down there and uh, meet him. So uh, so there, that, are, there are possible, possible uh, long-term benefits from this book, not just telling your story, but also sharing the important message. Now, what is that one message that you want the reader to take away from this? That... Uh, that you need to give your life to God in order to be saved. And that that's the one. Uh, and he can change your life and, uh, you know, make make you brand new. You have a lot of uh, good good uh, feedback from reviewers who have read your book. What is there, Was there anything that surprised you from the reviewers or from the acceptance of your story at this point? No. Well, I, I was glad. I thought, yeah, it was a good book. Now, if you... If you get into the pull up uh, Escaping Death Sting, which is the new version of it, uh, there's like about 44 reviews on there, and just about most of them are five star. There's there's some four star, but they can read them reviews. It's on that Escaping Death Sting. Uh, if they just Google my name, they can find out where that is. Fabulous. They can read, review the short stories and find out how to get the book that way. That's good. This is a, a fascinating story because uh, some biographies are, you know, just kind of general interest, but this covers a lot of personal tragedy and triumph in your life and how you are doing now. The title of the book is The Book of Joel, Book Two, and our author, Joel Lee, L E E. Russell, R-U-S-S-E-L-L. You can do a search online and find Joel Lee and also find out about this book and uh, the new title, which you had mentioned, which was, what was that again? Escaping Death Sting. Uh, And it's called a uh, subtitle, A Combat Marine's Life Story. So it's a story about my life, combat marine. Many positive reviews. This is a book that should be of interest to anyone who has had a military background and also anyone who wants to find out that there might be something more than what they're experiencing now in life. And you have found that in your faith in Christ, and this is a book that tells that, outlines it, and tells your story, your journey so far. Joel, thank you for joining me today. And uh, you've mentioned... You mentioned where we can get the book, I believe. Your website, again, is? It's escapingdesting.com, I think. Yes, dot com. Uh, or, like I say, you can go to, uh, go to my web, or just Google my name and uh, pull that Escaping Desting up, and uh, there's a button on that uh, website uh, to get the book uh, and also to get the, 
uh, my other, I wrote a fiction book called uh, Angels Under Fire, mm-hmm. and that kind of goes along the same. I get even with everything that happened in the book, <laughs> the book too, because <laughs> I went through a lot of turmoil. I have I have friends who also were Marines in in uh, Vietnam, and uh, they are still recovering, even though it's been years since they've returned to the United States. So, best of luck to you, and thank you for writing this book and sharing your story. For iUniverse, this is J. Douglas Barker. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.